It's only a weed if you say it's a weed. Yeah, like what is weed? What are frogs? <laughs> Hello everyone, you are here with Gina Erico, a coffee addict, plant lover, knower of strange facts, and most importantly, a Green Iowa AmeriCorps member. And I am here with... Olivia Dove, who is a lover of conifers, a field frolicker, a steward of the land, and also a Green Iowa AmeriCorps member. I love, I love the field frolicker. <laughs> field I feel frolicker. like that just encompasses you as a person. Yeah, well, and it's relatable to what we're going to talk about today. Oh, you're right. <laughs> so good. Welcome to the Backyard Club, where we will be discussing conservation on an understandable level, why we think it's so important, and how you can empower yourself and your community to make a difference for the better, one small step at a time. On last week's episode, we talked about non-native and invasive plants, what they are, why they exist, and how they have caused huge problems for both nature and humans. On today's episode, we will be diving into lawn care, pesticide use, and why we think grass sucks. Let's get started. Imagine a perfect lawn. Green grass cut to a perfect one-inch height, bushes trimmed into perfect shapes, maybe even automatic sprinklers. But why is this the perfect lawn? Why not a lawn that has some wild-growing weeds and flowers, leaves that haven't been raked, and dare I say it, grass that has been left untreated? Bottom line is, grass, the way that humans have it, cut short and riddled with pesticides, supports virtually no life, and pesticide and herbicide use has been linked to cause all sorts of human health problems. So why is it that we're so stuck on making sure our grass looks perfect and looking down on our neighbors who have let their grass run rampant? You know who I'm talking about. It actually goes back to our ancestral roots when humans were first evolving and living as hunter-gatherers. They were susceptible to the wild. Humans could fall prey to a large number of animals. This is also a time when grasses were tall and humans lived within nature, which means any one of these scary man-eating animals could be lurking around the corner at any time, leaving humans on high alert. It might even make you nervous just thinking about it. This is also why a lot of people are scared of the dark and feel fear when you hear strange noises when you're walking around outside. It's evolutionary instincts like these that kept humans alive for thousands of years. That uneasy feeling of not knowing what lurks behind the tall grass is one of the reasons why when humans began settling down and building towns, they would cut down the grass and even chop down trees so they could feel a sense of protection and not knowing what was coming their way. Since then, humans have used the security of grass as one of the many ways of asserting their dominance over nature, along with taming wild animals and urban development, and you could really see where we went with that one, as well as each other. The human competitive complex has allowed for the world of high-tech gas-guzzling lawnmowers and herbicide and pesticide use to exist. So commonly, to it, in order to tame our lawns, like Gina said, we typically use lawnmowers or herbicides and pesticides to get rid of unwanted plants within our yards and around our homes. But what exactly are we talking about when we say pesticides and herbicides, and why exactly are they a problem when we use them? A pesticide essentially are used to manage anything that is considered a pest. This is anything that is living, that is undesired in a yard, and a pesticide is broken down between 
several different applications. There are herbicides, which is a chemical geared towards killing off undesired plant matter. So it makes sense that the term insecticide is a chemical compound geared towards killing off insects, and a rodenticide is any, pest, any chemical compound geared towards killing off rodents. But essentially, a pesticide is used to kill any unwanted plant, fungi, or insect, or rodent in this case, in your yard. But most people don't think about what is actually in a pesticide. And I know the saying, ignorance is bliss, seems to ring true for most cases, but when it comes to pesticides, it shouldn't be the case. Because many people are using pesticides around their home, but fail to understand what exactly they are. So pesticides have ingredients that are known as active ingredients, and they are the ingredients that are used to target and mitigate or kill the organism you want to get rid of. Then there's metabolites. These are the chemicals that cause chemical reactions that take place when the pesticide is released into the air. And when they're released into the air, they can be more harmful than, say, when they're directly in the bottle because they react with chemicals and other compounds and various things floating throughout the atmosphere. Science. Science. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> and then, last but not least, you have inert ingredients. Inert ingredients are something that are inactive. So they're commonly used as binding agents to the active ingredients. The funny thing to note is that these ingredients often make up the majority of the pesticides, but no one knows what's in them. And this is because the manufacturers don't have to list all the ingredients that make up the, the inert ingredients. They only typically have to list the active ingredients. And this is a problem because inert ingredients, although they are mainly made up of fragrances, propellants, or solvents, some of those can still cause harmful long-term effects. The EPA does have standard limitations in pesticide use through an act called FIFRA, which is the Fungicide, Insecticide, and Rodenticide Act. And this act allows specific pesticides to be used and sold, but they must first have approval from the EPA. The EPA states that a pesticide is granted approval when the pesticides will not generally be proven to cause unreasonable adverse effects on the environment. Unreasonable here meaning any unreasonable risk to man or the environment, taking into account the economic, social, and environmental costs and benefits of any use of any pesticide. And while there is in-depth risk assessments of pesticides, the reality is that pesticides can still possess chemicals that can initially cause a long-term risk. So it may not be a direct risk, but over time, as the chemical and pesticide is used, it can cause harmful effects to humans. Right, so a lot of the testing that happens on these pesticides before they are released aren't studying long-term effects. Because when you think about it, right, like imagine if you're a pesticide company <laughs> and you want to release this pesticide and they're like, no, no, you have to wait 20 years so that we can determine the long-term effects. <laughs> I mean, that would be great, honestly, it would be. I feel like we would we would not be facing a lot of the issues that we are today in general if that's how all standards went. Mm -hmm. But I mean, they don't do that because that's very unreasonable and I'm sure it would get a lot of people mad. And so while a lot of things, I mean, this goes for pesticides and a lot of other things out there in the world, just because they, they test the risks in the short run, like Olivia was saying, does not mean that it actually looks at things in the long run. And there are studies out there that have proven that long-run pesticide exposure has caused problems. And that's what I'm going to talk about in a second. 
So humans invented and used these products as a way of deterring weeds, which are essentially unwanted plants or unwanted animals, from their lawn, like Olivia was saying. And so when you talk about weeds in terms of plants, no one really says, like, what what is a weed, you know? Like, you're like, oh, it's a weed. But that doesn't really mean that it's necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. When you think about dandelions, dandelions are technically weeds, but you can eat them. They're actually really good. I've had some. Dandelion <laughs> <laughs> salad. And you, yeah, you can, eat, you can eat, like, the flower. You can eat the stem. You can eat the leaves and the roots. Like, there's tons of recipes out there, which is kind of wild. And it's something really interesting to see how we view certain plants as like unwanted Mm -hmm. because they mess with that sort of grass aesthetic and now we're using chemicals to get rid of them which Mm -hmm. is wild (laughs) it's sort of like a beauty is in the eye of the beholder sort of situation like we're like oh this is a weed but like you said gina like it's only a weed if you say it's a weed yeah like what is a weed what are frogs (laughs) (laughs) it's full circle All right, so let's talk a little bit about the health issues that can be caused by pesticides and herbicides and all of this fun chemical stuff. So, like we said before, when people spray these pesticides onto their lawn or their property, they're targeting some sort of nuisance. But what most people don't realize is that the effects of these pesticides don't just end where they're sprayed. So you set, let's say you spray it on your grass and then it rains. Now everything that's on your grass gets washed away from your lawn and will make it into local waterways, which means that chemicals that weren't there before are now endangering water quality, which means that it's an issue for the wildlife that exists in there and also for your drinking water. Any person or animal that then goes and touches the affected area that you have just sprayed can also be exposed to those pesticides. So this means you, your pets, your family, especially children. Children love to play outdoors and roll around in the grass and play in the dirt, so all the chemicals that are being sprayed, children are being exposed to. There's been a lot of scientific studies that have come out linking pesticide exposure in children to all types of neurological issues and cancer development. The pesticides that kids and pets pick up when spending time outside can be brought indoors. There was actually a study, I forget who, I should look into it, who did it, but they found that like just dogs going outside and playing in the grass was increasing the family's level of exposure to pesticides. So you don't even have to go outside to get this. It's just that if your dog was out there and then comes in the house, whatever they were rolling around in, and then you obviously you touch your pet. So it's it's a pretty long chain reaction. Now, it may seem like a far stretch, but when you think about it kind of like the way the flu spreads, it makes sense. So if a kid is sick with the flu and goes to school, they will most likely spread it to other children who will then go home and get their families sick. So now this one kid that you've never met in your entire life is the reason why you're sick in bed. It's the same sort of chain reaction, except the effects of pesticides and these chemicals occur over longer periods of time, so it's not as obvious or immediate as getting the flu. So let's talk about things you can do to deter your pests, (laughs) quote-unquote, without using chemicals. So a big issue in a lot of people's lawns and gardens are deer. Personally, not a fan. (laughs) (laughs) We have a big, where I grew up in New Jersey, we have a big issue with deer. And a big thing to keep them away is you can basically just plant plants that they're not fans of. So bee balm is one, lavender is another. 
and so is mint, both of which smell phenomenal and you can use. And then there's also chives, which are delicious. The reason why that these deter deer is actually the scent of them. They give off, you know, that we love the smell of lavender and mint and deer hate it. Same thing goes for groundhogs, actually. Fun story. <laughs> My mom hasn't really understood the idea of perennial plants. And so I brought home a mint plant one year from, from college and she had it outside and, you know, towards the end of the fall, it, it died like most perennial plants do. And so she took it and she tossed it into the sinkhole that we have in our backyard from an old septic tank because she's just been throwing dirt in there since we moved into the house. And so, you know, spring rolls around and there's plants growing out of the sinkhole. And so we, I'm looking over there and we've got pumpkins because we threw our pumpkins from Halloween back there. This mint plant is growing. So there's like this mini, mini garden in the sinkhole, which is pretty cool. But so we, we dug out the mint to put it back into a pot just because I don't know why, because we like to control our garden. It's a weird thing. But we put this mint in, in a pot and... We noticed groundhogs on our property, but we like didn't really think much about it. And so we took this mint out and we put it in a pot. And then the next day we came out and the pumpkin patch was gone. Like there was just little nubs of <laughs> stems of pumpkin just left. And we were so confused because this, this pumpkin patch was just growing. And then we really thought about it for a second and we realized that the groundhogs were actually staying away from that patch just because the mint was there. And then, then we got smart about it because now we're like, well, if we put the mint everywhere, the groundhogs will stay away. <laughs> so we eventually just took pots of mint and like lined our garden with them <laughs> and it did work. They stayed away. So that was cool to watch. And then like, you know, besides natural plant deterrence, there's a lot of, like I said, because of the strong smell, it deters a lot of animal pests. If you make like, it's essentially like a chili oil almost, you can, <laughs> you can like spray around the plants and they also don't like that. So I had like a ring a ring, what is it in SpongeBob, like the bear ring around <laughs> around my garden and it, it kept them away kept too. Them away. So there's definitely a world of natural uh, animal deterrence out there. In terms of unwanted plants, you can just pull them out of the ground. I mean, if you mm -hmm. really hate dandelions in your yard, just Grow pull out. them out. Do some weeding. You know, exactly. <laughs> everyone's paying for therapy nowadays and it's pretty expensive and, you know, we're, we're doing all these, all this these different ways to relieve stress, just go out and weed a garden. Like, yeah, you will be amazed how, how much of gardening and just weeding can be a great stress reliever. I can attest. It's great. <laughs> Hard on the knees, but that's why you get knee pads. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's also um, something you can do called companion planting. This is another way to deter other sorts of pests. So things like planting garlic is kind of like the lavender and mint idea with deer. It can deter groundhogs, Japanese beetles, aphids, all sorts of problems. Okay. If you grow zucchini and cucumbers, you can prevent cucumber beetles by planting marigolds, something I yeah. also wish I would have known. I love that. So it's like every plant has like their own protector. Like a friend, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's adorable. Have a friendship garden. Cucumber beetles are the worst, actually. They they eat the, ins the plant from the inside out, so you don't mm. realize that your plant is dead until it's like... Pfft, 
falls over. Yeah, I didn't know that, and I got really excited because I was growing zucchini, and I was like, this is the best thing ever. My zucchini is thriving, and then I went out the next morning, and they were the all dead, and I looked it up, and it was like, yeah, they eat it from the inside out, and, like, you open the, the like, inside of the stem, and it's just empty because they, like, lay there. It's horrible. So plant, give your plant a friend. Plant it with a friend, and it'll do you a lot of favors. <laughs> Jumping back to unwanted plants, there's actually a couple things that you can do. Good Neighbor Iowa, which is a advocacy group against pesticide and herbicide use that we work with as Green Iowa members, recommends that if you cut your grass three inches tall, which is a lot higher than most average people, but most lawnmowers have adjustments so that you can do so. So if you cut your grass three inches tall or taller, live your life, it actually increases the strength of your grass roots which will help absorb more water, which is something that we talked about a couple times before. And it will also naturally shade out some weeds. And so the way that it does this is that because it's taller, it doesn't allow a lot of weeds to kind of pop up because it absorbs more of the sun. Whereas if everything's Mm -hmm. low cut to the ground, it's all on the same level. And so there's more competition between weeds and grass. Another thing to go off of this is to just not mow every week. You use sharp blades when you mow so that it doesn't damage your grass, but by not mowing every week, you actually allow for certain organisms to kind of exist in that grass. It's a little bit taller now, so a lot of things can kind of hang out, which is good because you're supporting ecosystems. And then by not mowing every week, you're not potentially destroying whatever exists in the grass. You can also fertilize organically. A lot of pesticides have excess nitrogen, so a lot of people use them to help fertilize their lawn, but most of that nitrogen is not absorbed, and then again, it's washed into waterways, and it's not great. A preventative measure, if you really want to get ahead of the game, so that you don't have to pull out weeds on your hands and knees, and you don't have to worry about spraying, is something called corn gluten. So early on in the spring, before the soil reaches 55 degrees, so probably around like March-ish, early April around Mm -hmm. here, you apply it to your grass and it acts as a natural weed deterrent. So this is a preventative one rather than a reactive one, like we said, pulling out weeds or spraying. And it does prevent most seeds from germinating. So you want to use it on grass that's already sort of established. You don't want to, if you're trying to grow grass, it's probably not the best idea because it'll probably just stop it from growing. But if you do already have something growing and you place it around there, it will stop weeds from coming in. If you're worried about fertilizing your lawn and you don't want to use artificial fertilizers, you can use compost. Composting is a super cool thing. You can basically recycle your food scraps Mm -hmm. and get organic materials back into the soil Mm -hmm. the natural way. And seaweed. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah. Seaweed is a natural fertilizer and it helps improve, like it helps grass improve the natural elements, minerals that it produces. Mm -hmm. So it like helps it out because it's got a lot of nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium and chemicals that are cool and important that all plants need. But then it, like, gives them a boost. Like, it's, like, when you take, like, a kale shot or something like that for your grass. It's seaweed. Like a, like a seaweed mask for yeah, your grass? for your grass. That's wonderful. Yeah, who thought? The ocean and grass. <laughs> One and the same. One and the same. It's all connected. Well, so we've been talking all this time about improving our lawns and having 
a more healthy ecosystem within our, our green space outside of our home. But what exactly do we mean when we talk about grass? As Gina mentioned earlier, grass is something that has kind of become, at least cut grass has become more common as the land we now live on has been developed. But thinking about grass on an ecosystem level, okay, so bear with me here. So grass is essentially like the pioneer of plants. It's one of the first plants to be established after land has been disturbed or destructed in some way whether by natural or man-made forces. And just like there are animals on the food chain, plants sort of have their own food chain, and this is called secession. Secession are the stages that occur as plants become established in the environment. But over time, as pioneers, also known as primary species, here being grass, become established, other plants known as intermediate and eventually climax species will continue to thrive along the groundwork foundation that was laid by the pioneer species. And it's less of a survival of the fittest and more of a mutual agreement between plants. So plants will grow for a little bit, and then others who are stronger and better and more adapted to the soil will take over, and they'll go on and on and on. Essentially, like, setting the stage for each other almost. Like, think about it starting, Mm -hmm. like, a bulldozer comes in and rips out everything. You're starting from scratch. So grass starts it, essentially, mm-hmm. and then it lays, sort of lays the groundwork for everything else to come in and be able to, to exist. Mm-hmm. So ground, grass can come in, and as it dies, it will lay, like, a nice organic matter, and then new seeds for, like, bigger shrubs or something will be like, oh, this is the perfect soil type for me, and then they'll grow, and then eventually <laughs> trees can come in. And then they'll be like, wow, this is wonderful. There's so much sunlight, so much room to grow. And then they'll grow. So essentially what we're trying to get here is that if we didn't mow our lawns and we had the correct conditions and our yards yards could basically one day turn from prairie to savanna to a full-on forest. That's pretty cool. But we're not talking about forests in this podcast. We're talking about grass here today. And grass has quite a lot of different names, but they don't all mean the same thing. Commonly, grass is categorized between turf, sod, and seed. So let's break it down real quickly. So turf, or artificial turf, is essentially grass that looks like and feels like grass, but is often used for sports fields due to its ease of care and nothing grows on it, essentially. Turf sucks because it's essentially about as lifeless as a parking lot, which is pretty dead. It also traps in a lot of heat, and mm-hmm. if you're a band or a sport member that played on a turf field, you know what I'm talking about. It gets really, really hot on turf grass. So it looks like grass, and it feels it's like grass, grass, but it's, it's not, grass. not grass. <laughs> and it's not helpful. <laughs> not grass. Not at all. And then we have sod, what I like to call carpet grass. Sod is also sometimes called turf, but here it's, it's actually more of a living being. Essentially, it is grass in sheets that easily are rolled up to be transported to a yard, and they're laid down. And it sucks because they have shallow root systems, and if you were paying attention to our previous podcast, you will remember that shallow root systems are bad, not to mention the pollution created from transporting the sod carpets, like shag carpet. (laughs) (laughs) It's carpet for your lawn. Carpet for your lawn. I also love how it 
every time you, you say this, you're like, well, it sucks. <laughs> Clearly, this is a biased podcast. <laughs> we do have an end goal. Um, but it is funny you mentioned the, the root systems because, like we were saying before, um, when you let your grass grow a little bit taller, you help the root systems. Mm-hmm. And so something that you wouldn't think about would have a super intense root system like grass. Mm-hmm. Now it does. Yeah, it's not about it's not about the above ground. It's about the below ground, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why seed grass, which is commonly purchased from a gardening store or even collected naturally in a field, if you're really ambitious about it, often yields a more natural-looking environment because the seed is able to better germinate and actually put on its own root growth within the soil. And when you really want to look at the big picture of everything. Healthy soil is really the most important when it comes to caring for your lawn because you can't buy healthy soil in a bag. It takes years for this process to happen as organic matter has to slowly break down and infiltrate as it is broken down by worms and other organisms within the soil. Organisms that I may add may only be present where good organic matter is available. So if you have healthy soil, you'll have a healthy lawn. If you have a healthy lawn, you should have healthy soil. So, end think, note. Think about it. <laughs> think about it. So, so it's, it's a big patience thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's a big issue that a lot of people have, is that mm-hmm. when you move into a house or you start working on your lawn, you want this immediate mm-hmm. beauty it and takes everything time. is done. And it does, it does take time. So mm-hmm. patience, everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a big question is, what if I can't grow grass? If you are like many people... In the United States, sometimes grass is not easy to grow. We have an issue with it back home. We have mostly sand in our yard, actually, so mm. grass is not super easy to grow. We have like little spurts that come up, and when my family goes through it with the lawnmower, it just like kicks sand everywhere. It's not great. Um, we've kind of just accepted <laughs> the sandbox. Yeah, we've kind of just accepted it as a part of our life, and that we just won't have grass, and that's fine with us. But some people want green in their yard, and that's totally fine. We support the plants. But there are actually a few things that you can plant. A lot of native ground cover vines and herbaceous plants you can put in your ground that kind of mimic grass, but are actually a little bit more fun, in my opinion. (laughs) So you can plant mint and lavender. So again, it'll deter unwanted animals from your property. And then when you mow it, it will smell magical, (laughs) which I think is really cool. I want to do that. And there's also herbs like thyme and oregano that are called creeping herbs. So they grow a little bit more connected and a little bit faster. They are a little bit more expensive to plant. Things like mint is actually considered a weed. Did you know that? Hmm. It's fast growing, and it's, so it's a lot cheaper. Lavender, I think, is a little bit more expensive, but because, I mean, mint's pretty cool. Unless you hate mint, then don't plant mint. Plant something else. Make some good tea. But yeah, I mean, you can eat your grass, which is cool. <laughs> if you, well, don't, don't eat your grass. You can eat the grass if you plant these herbs there. So that's kind of cool. We advise about. you wash everything that you ingest beforehand. Yes, please. Safety first. Another one that you can plant that you can't eat is clover, but it's still cool. So Good Neighbor Iowa, like we mentioned before, also promotes clover very heavily because it's drought tolerant, so you don't really ever have to water it, and it's immune to a lot of diseases that plants get. So you will never really have to worry about it dying to really anything because if it's immune to disease and it's drought tolerant, you just have to put it in the ground and let it go. Rabbits also love it. I am a rabbit advocate now because I have one, (laughs) but it also like distracts them from eating other plants. So if they're on your lawn and they're eating clover, there's a whole 
world of clover, they're probably not even going to look at other plants that you have. It also produces nitrogen, so it replenishes the soil. Mm -hmm. It has a good root system, so it not only does it support itself, but it supports everyone else. And it's also good luck. (laughs) You also don't have to mow it or fertilize it or water it, like we said before. So think about not ever having to mow your grass again. I personally never mowed my grass, but I hear it's a struggle and people complain about it all the time, so... I'm sure it's great if you only have to mow a portion of your lawn or not mow any part of your lawn at Mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. It's also inexpensive, and it spreads very quickly. There's also a few, like I said, alternative native vine coverings that you can get. Just be careful because a lot of sites will promote non-native, fast-growing vines, and if you joined us on our last episode, you will... (laughs) that'll raise a red flag for you in the sense that you really should not be planting anything non-native in general and definitely not non-native fast growing things just not great so just keep an eye out there are plenty of native vines that exist in the world so if that's something you want to do just be smart about it you can also plant moss if you have a lot of shade. I think this is really cool. It's like a sponge for your backyard. It's like a natural sponge. You don't mow it. It's low maintenance. But like I said, it really only works when you have low shade because moss thrives in like dark, wet environments. Mm-hmm. But if you do and you're afraid that your plants won't get any light, plant some moss. Mm-hmm. It's like a sponge. Another thing that I thought about is that like ferns and moss are almost like compatible with one another so it's Mm -hmm. like where there's moss there's ferns yeah so if you like ferns plant moss there you go ferns Ferns. they're wild concept (laughs) when i had to do research in the summer we had (laughs) because ferns are like so so complex but you would never really because they all look the same but like when you really look at them they're very different yes and so (laughs) all of our ferns We're labeled Fern 1, Fern 2, Fern 3, because we didn't actually know the names of them, but, like, you can count, like, the little leaf size, so, like, it's, like, all these descriptive scientific names on our, like, sheet, and then it's, like, Fern 1, Fern (laughs) 2. And my research advisor had to go through and, like, actually identify Identify the ferns, but she was like, you're never gonna, there's no time for you to figure it out. It's hard. It is very hard. They're very different. But they're pretty cool. Ferns are crazy. They're, like, the dinosaurs of plants. They actually are. It's wild. Ferns. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so what do we mean when we say a real healthy lawn? It is a term that we've been dropping, and for a lot of you, hearing that spraying your lawn is not healthy is probably pretty new for a lot of people. <laughs> so we're going to try and break it down a little bit, what we mean when we say having a healthy lawn. So an ideal lawn, like Olivia said, is one that supports nature above ground and below ground. So we're talking about wildlife existing in your grass by leaving it untreated and cutting it to a certain level, not super low. But then also the root systems will be more diverse. You're supporting the soil, all the microbes in the soil, the tiny Mm -hmm. organisms that you can't see, worms, Mm -hmm. if you're a fan of those. And most untreated lawns can provide the same aesthetic as treated lawns do without harmful chemicals. And they can provide additional benefits that support wildlife and diversity. love that so one to water (sighs) this is this is really this is my pet peeve and i'm sorry if you're one of these people that does this water at night your plants your grass if you really need to water your grass 
water at night because if you water in the morning the sun will come up and just absorb all of the water and so you're you're basically wasting water to water your plants and they're not even getting that water if you water at night it gives them almost 12 hours or more to actually absorb that water mm-hmm. before the sun comes up mm-hmm. just don't just water at night, water at night. <laughs> And also, don't water for a really long time. I mean, if you get a plant, look into how much water does this plant actually need. There's no need to overwater if your plant doesn't need it. So just keep that in mind moving forward. And water at night. I'm going to say a lot of times, water at night. (laughs) Especially if you have automatic timers for your water. It's so easy. You just switch switch time. It's great. That's my life. That's my advice. Raking leaves. A wild concept. Did you know that if you leave your leaves, leave, leave your leaves on the ground, it actually provides good organic matter for the soil when it breaks down, and it also provides benefits to wildlife. If you love butterflies as much as everyone in the world seems to love butterflies right now and wants to protect them, caterpillars are butterflies, essentially. We really have to think about that. I think a mm-hmm. lot of people forget that there's two life stages mm-hmm. to being a butterfly. And caterpillars lay their eggs and live in a lot of leaf litter. And it helps them find trees when the springtime comes around to turn in cocoons, all that kind of fun stuff. So by leaving leaves on your ground actually helps them lay their eggs. And they like oak trees, so if you have oak trees, you should definitely be doing this. And I know a lot of people complain about having leaves on their lawn. So even if you rake them all into like one area so that you rake up most of your leaves, but leave some around because it's really good for the environment. And also it's kind of wasteful to just, <laughs> when you think about it, you, organic matter falls and we pick it up and then we put it in non-decomposable bags and then put it in a landfill <laughs> when you can kind of just leave it there mm-hmm. and it'll literally get rid of itself you're basically like taking food away from your lawn if you think about it that way if you really care about your lawn leave the leaves leave leave the leaves also if you know it's not convincing enough to leave the leaves for the caterpillars aka eventually butterflies there are bats in the u.s called red bats that use leaves they like hang from the branches of leaves and it's so cute because like they blend in like a little leaf but during the winter they don't completely hibernate they go into like it's kind of like a small like torpor they they nest and kind of like live out in the leaf litter and just like eat bugs and stuff like that and they're so freaking cute if you really want to look up red bats they're adorable (laughs) so you're also providing habitat on a small scale and a large scale and again providing food to your lawn so do it for the bats. Leave the leaves! <laughs> Leave the leaves. <laughs> that should have been the name of our podcast. <laughs> so, so many missed opportunities. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So off of our tangent, continuing on with what it means to have a healthy lawn. Planting native and diverse. We're probably drilling this into the heads of everyone who has decided to listen to every single one of these podcasts. And we hope that's the point because that's why we did this podcast. Plant native and plant diverse. Don't plant one of the same thing and make sure that it belongs where you live. So Good Neighbor Iowa has a lot of good step-by-step eco-friendly lawn care management plans, which we'll include in our resource link. So definitely be sure to check those out. 
you can also check out their website for yourself, obviously, mm-hmm. because that's always a good way to find information. And do your own research. I mean, that's something that we push, but, you know, you know your lawn best. We are not in the homes of everyone, mm-hmm. so we don't really know what you have going on. But just be resourceful. Question a lot of the things that you buy for your lawn. You know, mm-hmm. where does this come from? Do I know what these chemicals are? Should mm-hmm. I even be using chemicals? Can I use something instead? I mean, quick Google searches will really help you out. I had no idea how to get rid of groundhogs until I had them, and all I did was <laughs> Google, how do you get rid of groundhogs? <laughs> And then I went on a wild adventure of spraying, you know, chili powder all over my <laughs> lawn, and it worked. It happens. <laughs> it, it works. We have such an abundance of resources. There's really no excuse for not being able to go on, go on the hunt. So you know, you know your your angles, what you want your your yard, your lawn, your home ecosystem, what you want to achieve. So. Mm-hmm. And talk to your neighbors, work together, find solutions. I mean, if you're dealing with a pest or an unwanted whatever, I'm sure your neighbors are dealing with it too. So work together and come up with solutions. You know, teamwork makes dream work. Mm-hmm. That's what we're all about. Are we at an end? Yep, is we're that, at an end. Is that all for today? This is it. That's all for today. Oh, man. <laughs> well, thanks for listening in and joining us on this journey in becoming nature warriors. As always, stay safe, think smart, and don't forget to enjoy nature. For more information and resource links on today's episode, check out our website. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Interested in guest starring on our podcast? Contact us via the form on our webpage.